All right, well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to see you. We have some visitors with us today, which is great. Give you a warm welcome. Um, as most of you know, I'm going through a series of teaching uh, that I've called Fundamentals of the Faith. And what I'm trying to do is take some of the major key topics of the Bible and present that truth to us with the help of God. So um, today, my subject is discipleship. So I want to speak to you today of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You'll remember that last time I spoke last month, I spoke about the person of Jesus Christ, God's Son. You remember we spoke about His deity, His humanity, the fact that He is God Himself, and he became a man to come into the world to die for sinners. The greatest rescue mission of the ages. God's own son, Christ Jesus, came into the world to save sinners. But God has a desire that all people that believe on the Lord Jesus would be true disciples, true followers of Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to look at today. Um, I've got... Three passages in particular like I want to I read with you, and uh, they're right up there on the screen so you can follow along. Turn with me, please, to Mark chapter 8, Gospel of Mark and chapter 8, we're going to read at verse 34, Mark 8 and 34. And calling the crowd unto him, notice it says, with his disciples also. So there's this crowd of people, and Jesus calls the crowd unto him with his disciples, and he said unto them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever would save his life, will lose it. But whosoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man if he were to gain the whole world and lose or forfeit his own soul? For whosoever is ashamed of me and of my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. You'll notice verse 37 says, What can a man give in exchange or in return for his own soul? Now turn to Matthew's Gospel and chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to read at verse 16. Jesus has just risen from the dead. He has shown himself to Mary and the other Mary, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary at the tomb. And... They are like so amazed and they're scared. 
And in verse 10, Jesus said, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there you will see me. So we pick up at verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain of which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said unto them, All authority, all power, in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Go ye therefore and make disciples. Make disciples of all nations. And that word is all ethnic groups. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Now let's read one last passage in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, and we're just going to read... Verse 21, this is how Paul summed up his whole purpose of life. Philippians 1 and 21, he says, For me to live is Christ. What would your summary statement be if you were writing that down? For me to live is, what are you living for? Christ. For me to live is Christ, and Paul says, to die is gain. Chapter 3 and verse 7. Whatever was gain to me, I have counted loss as for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of, catch this phrase, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ or win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which comes from the law, but that which comes through faith, in Christ, the righteousness which God, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, that I might share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. To become like Christ in His death. Verse 12 says, not that I have already obtained this or that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it known because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brethren, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, 
I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I want to speak to you this morning about discipleship. What does it mean to be a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, I think that for a lot of us, we have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and He's our Savior. And our sins are forgiven, and we're on our way to heaven, but sometimes we're really not following Christ. There are many pressing distractions and obligations in our life, and sometimes we're just not focused on following Christ. I want to speak especially this morning to young people. Your life is before you, and you might think that, you know, you got all these years ahead of you. I want to remind you that your life will go very fast, in a blink of an eye. You'll look back and 50, 60, 70 years, where have they gone? And if you are not focused and engaged with absolute certainty and purpose of heart to follow Christ, you'll get distracted in so many other things. And it's very easy for your life to be lost. You'll notice that in Mark chapter 8, Jesus drew and called a multitude of people. Okay, now, in that crowd that day, if you look at Mark chapter 8 and verse 34, in that crowd that day, it was a mixed multitude of people. When Jesus taught, he taught openly and publicly in the streets, in the towns, in the synagogue, on the shore, in a boat, on a mountain. Jesus taught publicly to the masses, a mixed multitude. And in every crowd, there were unbelievers. There were believers. There's probably some skeptics. Who is this guy? Is he really the son of God? I don't know. Did you, did you, see, him, did you see him take that boy's lunch and feed 5,000 people? Like, how could that possibly happen? This is probably the thinking of this mixed multitude of people. Believers, unbelievers, skeptics. There were some that were just indifferent. They were just there for the food. This guy's going to feed us. We're, we're going to be here and have some lunch. There were people that were curious. And there were people that were intentional. So I want to apply that to our audience today. You know, every time that we stand up here on this platform and we speak from the Word of God, there's a, a mixed multitude in the crowd. I would venture to say there's probably people here right now and you are not saved. You've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Maybe there's people here and you're an unbeliever. I know for sure there are people here who are believers, and we love the Lord Jesus Christ. There may be some who are doubting, not really sure if all of this is true, if this can be trusted. There's maybe even people here that are skeptics. We have no idea what your heart or your thoughts are, but I want to point out to you this. 
When Jesus spoke, he spoke the same fundamental truth to the entire crowd. He didn't change his message for believers or for unbelievers. And so what I would like to do today is I would like to speak the truth of the Word of God fundamentally just like the Lord Jesus did. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8 a very striking thing. He called the people and his disciples unto him, and he said, If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. There's going to be a cost to discipleship. But then he said this, Whosoever will save his life will lose it. What? What a paradox. Whosoever will save his life will lose it. And then he said, For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? I, I want to speak to our hearts today about the value of your soul. You see, that's the, the immaterial part of a man or a woman or a child. God has given us a soul. It's not just the body. It's the real person that lives inside the body. And some of us have stood at a casket, an open grave, and we have seen a loved one that's gone. The body is still in death, but the soul has departed. Each and every one of us today are living in a body that has an expiry date. We're going to die. And if the Lord doesn't come, every one of us, believers and unbelievers, will pass through the article of death. And the soul that's inside will either go to heaven or hell for all eternity. That's a very, very solemn thought. Because the real you is not the body. It's not the tangible that we see, that, that we look in the mirror and we see flesh, and we say, this is me. This is the body that I live in. My soul is that immaterial part that is worth more value than the entire world. So the most important question for every one of us as we pass through this life is, is my soul saved? Are my sins forgiven? If I was to die today, am I ready to meet God? Jesus said to a mixed multitude of people, what would it profit you if you gained the whole world and lost your soul? Now you just think about that for a minute. If you had... If you had Mr. Gates' money, I don't know, if you had billions upon billions upon billions, if you owned every business in Halifax and Dartmouth, if you owned every property, if you owned everything that you could see as a materialistic part of this life, if you owned it all, it's all temporary. 
Because the moment you die, you let go of everything. And your soul goes out into eternity. And Jesus said to the entire crowd, what would it profit a man if he owned everything and lost his own soul? I want to tell you today that there is nothing more valuable than your soul. And God himself gave you your soul. God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Came from God. And when we die, that soul goes out into eternity. Is your soul saved? Jesus asked this great question, challenging question. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Have you ever thought about that? Maybe you're here today and maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. What are you giving in exchange for your soul? What are you giving and forfeiting your soul for? Maybe you've never, ever, ever thought about that. For some, it's the pleasure of sin. For some, it's a relationship. Maybe for some, it's a career. Climb that corporate ladder, get to the very top of it. Maybe for some, it's the popularity of entertainment, music, fame, fortune. What are you giving your soul for? I'm here to tell you from the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's nothing worth it. If you were to attain anything in this entire world and die in your sins and lose your soul in hell, there is nothing, nothing that will equal the value of your soul. Could I tell you today that God loved you, the world? And God sent his own son into the world to save sinners. We were in our sins. We were condemned already, all of us. There's no difference. We have lied, we have lusted, we have been filled with pride. We have disobeyed God. We have broken God's laws. We are sinners. We have a sinful nature. Left to ourselves, we will go astray and we will self-destruct. When we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus came into the world to save us. And God demonstrated his love. Love. My brother was reminding me of love yesterday. God demonstrated his great love to the world. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Could I tell you today, it doesn't matter what you've done in your life. It doesn't matter how evil or how bad your, your past is. It doesn't matter what you've said, where you've gone, or what you've done. God loves you. And Jesus Christ came into the world to save you so that your soul could be saved. Make it your number one priority and don't let anything else in this life cost you your soul because nothing else is worth losing your soul. The Lord Jesus spoke about a paradox. He said, whosoever would love his life or save his life will lose it. How does that make any sense? I think what Jesus was saying is that those who pursue a life of ease, a life of comfort, a life of acceptance of the world, if that is your whole ambition, you're going to miss eternal life. Jesus said, strive to enter in. 
Make it your number one priority and don't let anything else distract you from getting right with God. Folks, God calls us to repent of our sins. That's what he calls us to do. Every one of us have sinned against a righteous and a holy God. God calls us to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And everyone who believes on him will have everlasting life and will never come into condemnation for their sins. They will be passed from death unto life. That is the gospel. The paradox of loving or saving your life and actually losing it for eternity. The gospel. But I want to speak to you today about the meaning of discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple? I actually looked up this word, and I'm going to share with you what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is one who follows one's teachings, a pupil, a scholar, an adherent to the teaching. A disciple is one who believes and confesses and practices the teachings of their master. A disciple is an imitator of their teacher. And so I'd like to ask each one of us today, those of us who profess to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, are we following Christ? Do we know his teachings? Are we living it in our lives? Does it characterize my character, the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ? the meaning of discipleship. But I want to share with you today the mandate of discipleship. I want to take you to a scene that's very, very interesting. In Mark chapter 15 and verse, sorry, in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, Jesus said these words, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, he said, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So it was God's desire not only that every person in the world would be saved, and that every person in the world would not lose their own soul because you could lose your soul. You could lose your life. God wants to give you abundant life, eternal life, life with God forever. And it starts by repenting of your sin and believing on Jesus Christ. And then throughout the rest of your life, you are becoming a follower a, an adherent to the teachings of Jesus Christ, a disciple, a true follower of Jesus Christ. I want to take you to a scene in Galilee. You know, we read in Matthew 28 that on this day that Jesus had risen from the dead, 
Very early in the morning came Mary Magdalene and another Mary. And they're at that tomb and the stone is rolled away. And Jesus is alive. Oh, that is, that is so important. Critically important. We don't worship a dead Savior. We worship one who is alive. The resurrection of Christ is fundamental to the teaching of the Bible. In fact, you remember the last words of Paul? He's in a Roman dungeon and he's, he's lying there and he's going to be killed in a few days. And he writes those words to Timothy and he says, Timothy, remember, remember, don't ever forget that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. He's alive. Because Christ is alive, there's a message of hope, a message of certainty, a message of power. And Jesus says to these women, don't be afraid. Isn't it true that so often in our lives, we're just, we're just so crippled with fear and doubt, and we're, we're, we, we, we just can't even mobilize because we're, we're full of uncertainty. The gospel message is a message of hope and certainty. You can build your life on this. Jesus Christ is alive. This is real. This is true. This is purpose of life, living for Jesus Christ. And so he says to the, the women, go tell my brethren, I will meet them on a mountain in Galilee. Imagine what that was like. Oh, I have thought about this and I, I thought, what on earth would this have been like? It says in verse 16 that 11 men, 11 men. So here's the Lord Jesus Christ, and he takes 11 men, plus whoever else was there, I don't know. 11 men. And he says, you are going to go into the world, and you're going to preach this message. Okay, well, well, wait a minute. Here's Peter, a fisherman who has failed. Here's John. Here's all the disciples that have just forsook him and fled. Weak, failing men. And Jesus says, I'm leaving. And I'm giving you this great commission. Go into all the world and spread the gospel. Do you think you'd feel pretty confident about that if you were one of those 11 men? Jesus is leaving. What? And he says, I'm sending you into the entire world to preach the gospel. What a message. What, what power. He says, Jesus left them a legacy. I want to touch on this for a second. You know, when, when a president is leaving power, they're concerned about their legacy. When an older person is dying, they're concerned about their legacy. When a father is leaving and he looks at his children, he's wondering this, what have I left these guys? What, 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 what have I given them to live their life with? What have I given them to pursue? Jesus has left the greatest legacy of all time. He was only with these men for three and a half years. Jesus never moved more than 100 miles from where he was born. He never wrote a book. He never traveled to another continent. He never built 
some kind of amazing roadmap of how this was all going to happen. He just said, I'm going to heaven. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and you're going to go into all the world, and you're going to preach the message. And I'm going to be with you until the end of the age. That's amazing. That is totally amazing. He left a legacy. You know, at the beginning of his earthly ministry, Jesus said these words. He said, come and see. Come and see. You know what the disciples said to him? Master, where do you, where do you dwell? Come and see. Okay. So they come and see him. As he goes through his public ministry, he says to his disciples, come, follow me. Follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Can you imagine these men? They left the family business. Here, here's Matthew, the tax collector. He's sitting at his desk. Jesus walks by and he says, follow me. Matthew drops his career. Gets up, follows Christ. These men were with Jesus Christ seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Where he slept, they slept. Where he ate, they ate. When he got in a boat, they got in a boat. These people probably didn't see their families. Peter says, we have left all and followed you. And for three and a half years, all they knew was following Jesus Christ. And now he says, I'm leaving. What? At the beginning of his public ministry, he says, come and see. As he calls his disciples, he says, come follow me. Now let me make this point. Not a religion. He doesn't say follow this religion. He doesn't say follow this church. He doesn't say follow these things. He says, follow me. Every true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is following Christ. We're following him. And now he says on this mountain, he says, I'm going to send you. What? I'm going to send you into all the world to spread the gospel. What an amazing experience that these men had. But he says this. He says, I want you to understand something. All authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. All authority is given unto me. The time of his humiliation had ended. And now he is sovereign Lord, and he says, go in my name. I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. I want to take you to another scene. If you look at the last chapter in Luke, chapter 24, it says these words. He led them out as far as to Bethany. Do you remember what he said in that chapter? If you just turn to it and look at the last couple of verses in Luke, chapter 24. He told them three things were important. If you go down to verse 44, these are my words that I've spoken unto you while I was yet with you. In verse 47, 
that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. Jesus has led them out now to the Mount of Olives. And just on the other side of that little mountain is this tiny little village, Bethany. He loved Bethany. There was a group of believers in a little house there that he loved dearly. And this was the last spot on planet Earth where Jesus is standing and he lifts up his hands and he blesses them. And they're watching. Jesus in a resurrection body, lifting up his hands and he blesses them. And he says these words. He says there's three things that are important. He said, this is your mandate. He said, preach the resurrection. He says, preach repentance. And he says, preach remission. Those three things. Christ must suffer many things and be raised from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the foundation of the gospel. Preach the resurrection. Christ is alive. It distinguishes him from any other so-called religious leader in the world that ever lived in history. Jesus is alive. He's risen from the dead. He's alive. Preach the resurrection. Then he says, preach repentance. Change your thinking. Turn from your sins. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And then he says, preach remission or forgiveness of sins. Those three things should characterize our gospel message. Christ is alive. The resurrection. That's what they preached all through the book of the Acts. Christ, Jesus, and the resurrection. Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Preach the resurrection. Preach repentance. Preach remission of sins. That was the mandate of discipleship to go into all the world. And then he says this. Here's the assurance. I am with you always. And I'm sure these 11 men probably felt like, like honestly, like I feel. I go out on the streets sometimes and I, I, feel, I feel like this weak, puny little kid that's probably going to get beat up. And I go out there and I, I try to preach the gospel. But here's the difference, folks. Jesus said, all power is given unto me. I give you authority in Christ's name to preach this message. I can preach with certainty. Why? Because all heaven is behind me. The power of God. You read what it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, you shall be witnesses of me, beginning in Jerusalem and Samaria, and Judea, unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And he says this, you will be empowered. The Holy Spirit of God will give you power to preach this message, and you will be witnesses of me. That is the mandate of discipleship. Go into the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, the mandate. I want to share with you the model for discipleship. You know, this is so beautiful. Clearly seen to us in the person of Jesus Christ. The model is Mark 8 and 36. 
Whosoever desires to come after me. This is not a lighthearted desire. If you look at this word in the original, it means whosoever earnestly desires to follow me. Earnestly. If this is your passion to follow Christ, then let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. In another passage it says daily, follow me. I want to submit to you for your thinking that true discipleship can only come from intimacy with Christ. If you're really going to be a true disciple of Christ, you need to be intimately connected to Christ. And when I look at the standard, I will tell you honestly, I fail. I, I, I have searched my own heart before I spoke this today, because I feel that I fall so short of God's standard for discipleship. I want to submit to you three thoughts of the true disciple that are seen in the person and life of Jesus Christ. Number one, an undivided heart. Oh, that's hard. To have an undivided heart. Number two, to have an unselfish spirit. Number three, unreserved obedience. Now, I don't know what your daily life is like, but I think mine's crazy. You know, with the agenda and the demands of work and family and a ministry and trying to do so many things, our lives are filled with clutter and demands, and you got voices calling you this way and this way, and there's only 24 hours in a day, and you're stretched in so many different directions. Do you not think the Lord Jesus was like that? He was. He would be up all night in prayer, and the next day, teaching. And he goes apart with his own disciples to be by himself, and the multitudes follow. And the disciples are like, Lord, send them away. He said, no, no, give them to eat. Well, here is the Lord Jesus who modeled true discipleship, an undivided heart, an unselfish spirit, and unreserved obedience. I think that I would say this. With men, this is impossible. But with God all things are possible. If I try to be a true disciple on my own strength, by my own determination, I will fail, I will crash and burn. Can't do it, just can't. But if I have intimacy with Christ, if I have a devoted heart that's given over to the Lord, and if I walk daily in fellowship with God, I can pursue a life of discipleship with Christ. I read a verse <clears throat> in my daily reading this week that convicted me. Actually, this verse that I'm going to quote to you right now was the reason that I'm speaking on this. It's found in, in Psalm 86 and verse 11. And it says this. I was reading in the NIV version. And it says, Teach me thy way, O Lord. Teach me your truth. And then it says this. Give me an undivided heart. 
I find that extremely challenging. My heart is divided into many different categories. God wants my heart, an undivided heart. What does this look like? Well, in Matthew 6 and verse 22, Jesus said what it looks like. He said, the light of the body is the eye. If your eye is single, your whole body is filled with light. What does that mean? If my eye is focused on Christ, He is light, He is pure, I will be filled with purity and with light. But if my eye is focused on selfish ambition, trying to get rich, trying to build my own castles in the sand, and my own name and all that I want, and then on Sunday, I'm trying to focus on Christ, I, I, I got a divided heart. The Bible says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. But don't come to God with a spirit of doubt or uncertainty, because a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. That's what the Bible says. So to really have an undivided heart is to have a single eye focused on Christ. How about a single desire? I love that word, that verse that the psalmist David wrote in Psalm 27. Here, here is the king, and he says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after all the days of my life that I may dwell in the presence of the Lord, that I may dwell where God dwells, an undivided heart. Could I just challenge us today, in all of the responsibilities that you have in life, your school, your family, your finances, your mortgage, your career, above everything else, is to have one single ambition, that I might know Christ, that I might pursue Christ, that I might follow Christ, that Christ would dwell with me and I would dwell with Him. That's an undivided heart. Could I tell you today that if you have an undivided heart, you will travel through this world first class, intimacy with God. You'll have peace in your heart. You'll have joy in your soul. You will have a purpose of life. And at the end, you will take those beautiful works into the kingdom of God and you'll be rewarded for them eternally. An undivided heart. I want to take you to two quick scenes that I think really depict for us the life of Jesus Christ. The first scene is Gethsemane. I, I read that this morning and I really thought a lot about it. An unselfish spirit. Do you know what predominates every one of us? And I can say this with confidence because I know my own heart. Um, we have a selfish spirit. Our, our um, humanity, our sinful nature makes us selfish. And we think me first, mine first, I want, I like, I desire, so everything else is secondary. This is the opposite of what the Lord Jesus was. We come to that garden of Gethsemane. He has lived his entire life pleasing God. And now he is about to face the agony 
of death by crucifixion, but worse than that, the power of darkness to be forsaken by his God, to be the one offering for sin, to be exposed to the righteous wrath of a holy God. And Satan and all of his emissaries are lurking. It's a dark night. And the disciples are falling asleep. And Jesus said, this is your hour and the power of darkness. And he goes a little further. None of his disciples could enter into his agony. And he prostrates himself before the Lord and he says, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. You know what he does? He yields an unselfish spirit to God. What, what a beautiful image of true discipleship. Could I ask you a question today, dear believer? Do you have a Gethsemane in your life? I mean as a metaphor. Have you ever got to the place that you have consecrated your life to God? Romans 12 and 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Have you ever had a, a moment of consecration where you were willing to say, not my will, but thine be done, and give your whole life on the altar for God. That is the true model of discipleship. I want to take you to another scene. If you look at John chapter 14 and verse 31, Jesus is in the upper room, and he has just, in humility, washed his disciples' feet. He knows that his hour has come. He loves his own and he's about to go to the cross. Do you know what he says in the last verse of that chapter? He says a striking word. He said, I want the world to know that I love the Father. And as my Father has given me commandment, even so I do. Here is the ultimate display of yielded obedience unreserved obedience to God. This is what God wants from every one of our hearts. Obedience. Submission. The pouring out of our life before God to say, whatever you want for my life, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to follow you. I'm here to give my life for you. That's what God wants from us. Unreserved obedience. There are great lessons in those two thoughts. There's a lesson at Golgotha where Jesus has died upon that cross and he has shed his blood. You know that for a believer, Romans 6 and verse 3 and Colossians 1 and verse 5 tells us this. The imagery of what happened at the cross is what God wants us to do. Die with Christ. Mortify. Put to death the flesh. Yield myself into Christ. For as much as you know that as many of you who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death, raised again in resurrection to live a new life. And so every one of us that have been baptized, we have said to the world, I died with Christ. When he died on the cross, everything that I was in Adam is gone, and I am now a new 
creature in Christ Jesus, and I'm living my life for him. Put to death the flesh and all the works of the flesh and live in Christ. You know, Paul was a great man who had great motivation to live his life for Christ. And you get the, the practical outworking of true discipleship in Philippians. He said, for me to live is Christ. I want to challenge our hearts today as we leave. What are you living for? What's the purpose of your life? Is it for the next big buck? Is it for all these other things that we've talked about? Or is it for Christ? And as true disciples and believers of Jesus Christ, God wants our heart. For me to live is Christ. You know what Paul said in chapter 3? That I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And he says, I press toward the mark. As we leave here, fellow believers, let us love God. Let us serve Christ. Let us be willing to leave everything else aside that we might win Christ, that we might share the truth of God, that we might be true witnesses of Jesus Christ and spread the gospel and model the life of Christianity. That's what God wants from every single one of our hearts. To know Him, to love Him, and to let everything else go that I may win Christ. Your life is going to be soon over, and so is mine. Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Thank you for coming today, and thanks for listening. And I just hope that every one of us today will, will walk out of this building with a passionate desire to love God, to serve Christ, and to be a true disciple of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the word of God. We thank you for the Lord Jesus who came into the world to save sinners. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to him. Help us to be true disciples of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to be able and ready and willing to lay everything else aside that we might follow Christ. And at the end of our life, Lord, that we might be able to say, like Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I've finished my course, I've kept the faith, and henceforth for me there's a crown of righteousness. And so, Lord, we look to Thee and we ask Your rich blessing upon us today as we part. Bless this audience and search our hearts, Lord, and help us to love You and to follow You, to be true disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Part us with Your blessing today, we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.